we are going to open our Bibles to two different passages. Uh, first in Romans, the fourth chapter, and we've been talking about a new reality, or I would say it like this, and I've said it each time, is the true reality. Because there are some things that in life that, you know, people count as real and true that really are not real and true. There is a higher way to live, and there is a right way to live before God. And we don't just stumble on these things. We have to learn them and learn to apply things. And I believe that if we want to walk in the true realities that are from God, this principle right here was something that was foundational to me when I first got saved, or I shouldn't say right when I first got saved. Within the first probably two years, I started learning about this, and this has revolutionized my life and helped me immensely. And so Romans, the fourth chapter, I'm going to read a couple of verses here, and um, we'll start in verse 17. And this is a story about Abraham who had a promise from God, and this promise was contrary to normal life, meaning his wife was past the age of bearing children. She had never been able to bear a child. Uh, she could not do it. The only way she would be able to do it would be supernaturally. And so God gave, came to Abraham and gave him a promise and said, your descendants are going to be like this. Abraham tried to figure it out in the natural and tried to do some natural things to make it come to pass. And it just caused some of the problems that we live in today that happened or occurring in the Middle East was all the result of what Abraham did trying to work this out in the natural to make this spiritual thing happen that God had said. You can't just make things happen. And if you try to force things to happen, you're not, it's not always going to work out the way you want. And so the best way to do it is go back and just trust God and follow him and don't try to make things happen. But he tried to make it happen. But in the process, he learned something of how things can happen from God. And so here in the 17th verse is where we pick up the story. God had given him a promise when he was quite old and said, you're going to have children, you're going to have a son, and through this son, which naturally his wife was past childbearing age, he's 90, and he can't, you know, it just, this is not the time you say, woohoo, you know, I've got a word today, you're, everybody here that's a female is going to have a baby, you know, so, some people are like, wait a minute, but he got this specific word, and, and it was from God, and at first, if you read the story, he wasn't just this mighty man of faith. But where he ended, there are some principles we can look at that can make things work in our life. And so here in the 17th verse, it says this, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. This was the promise that, that God said to Abraham. Abraham had not been able to have a child. His wife could not. They were, they were barren. They couldn't have kids. And God didn't say, you're going to be a father someday. It's interesting. If you read the Bible carefully, especially in the New Testament, a lot of it is written in the past tense. Like, by whose stripes you were healed, 
or you have been delivered, or you have overcome. But people say, well, what about my circumstances? What about where I sit right now? In other words, every Christian really has ultimately already been delivered from every bondage in Christ Jesus. But the issue comes down to, how does that become a reality in my life? Because he said, I have made you a father of many nations, and he couldn't have kids, and he was basically saying through your descendants is how this nation is going to be, and he, and he, he couldn't have kids, and he said, I've made you this. Now, to the natural mind, that's just crazy. But notice what he said. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him, or in the presence of God, whom he believed, and so he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. God calls things that do not exist as though they did. He doesn't call things that are as though they're not, and there's a vast difference. He didn't say, you're not this and you're not that. He didn't deny reality. He just called things which were not as though they were. I made you this way. When a person gets saved, he's made you already a certain way in Christ. But the thing is, what helped him to go from God calling him this and already having said, you are? And if he looked at himself, he would have said, I'm not. As a matter of fact, at first, his wife, when she heard it, she laughed. And then God said, are you laughing? She said, no. She flat lied. She, she didn't even believe what God said because she was old and everything. As a matter of fact, when they named their son that actually came out of this, they named him Isaac. Somebody said, okay, I named mine Larry or something. Isaac means laughter. And so what happened was she named him after that first experience of unbelief, laughter. And so here... He, he, they're in a place where God has called him something, and he's calling something that is not as though it is. He's not denying reality, but he said, I have made you a father of many nations. Now, this is not me. Somebody said, this is how you're interpreting it. No, look what it says. As it is written, I have, past tense, made you a father of many nations in the presence of him, or God, whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. God calls things a certain way. Then it says this, who contrary to hope, Abraham, hope means a positive Godward expectation. Contrary to what you know, he could believe or what was showing in his life. It said, who contrary to hope, in hope he believed. So that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. So if you notice there, 
he throws in two promises. He had promises from God. And the promises were not, I'm going to do this, but I've made you this way. When a person gets saved, they get set free from sin. But somebody said, yeah, but, but I see this Christian living this way and that way. But in God's mind, he's already paid for their freedom. How do they come from the state of God has delivered them because he has already done the work to living that reality in their life? How do they go from there to there? I mean, the fact of the matter is, Christ has already reconciled the world to himself. Go read 2 Corinthians. He died for all people. The whole world has been reconciled to himself. He's not going to reconcile the world to himself. In other words, he didn't have to die again for anybody because he already died for everybody. So in God's eyes, the world has been reconciled to himself. But if you read in Romans, it says, but we have received the reconciliation. And we are to go tell the world that Christ has already done something about it. And if they would receive the Lord, they would be receiving the reconciliation. Then what has been written becomes reality. Right? In other words, the world, because these are verses in the Bible, God was in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. As though God was in Christ, the Bible said, reconciling the world to himself. Then it goes on to talk about how we have now been given the ministry of reconciliation as though God would plead through us, be reconciled to God. So Christ did the work. It's already taken care of. People just need, in other words, people need to get it in their life. They need to appropriate it. In other words, Christ isn't going to die again. Christ isn't going to do any more work. Somehow, though, we have to get it from being he said it uh, and it's a fact to it becoming real in my life. Abraham learned how to do that. He learned how to do it. And so it's written. As a matter of fact, much of what you see in Jesus' ministry was teaching this principle. It's interesting, when he healed the sick in Matthew 8, it, it, he cast out all the devils that were there in the people, and he healed all who were sick. Matthew eight sixteen and 17 go on to say that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. You know what's interesting? He hadn't even died and done that yet. But God called it as though it was. Now, I'm just telling you what the Bible said. Go read that. Write it down. Right on the back of your hand, not on the front, you know, or this part. So that way after you go, oh, and sweat a little bit, you know, like, what scripture was that? No, that way you can look. He, uh, he, he said it. He spoke it before it ever came to pass. Go read the Old Testament. There is much spoken before it ever came to pass about how Jesus would suffer, the way he would suffer, what he would do, where he would be born, how he would go into Egypt and come out. God called these things long before they ever happened. But then they became reality. Salvation is long done for everybody who will be alive after we're long gone unless the Lord comes back. In other words, Jesus died 2,000 years ago, but how will it become real to them? 
How, how will it be? In other words, if people don't receive Christ and they die in their sins, even though it's paid for, they will go to a devil's hell. Though that was never God's plan, and he already did something about it. And so here, it says this. It says, so shall your descendants be, verse 19, and not being weak in faith. What is faith? Is trust, it's confidence. He did not consider his own body already dead. Since he was about 100 years old, 99 is about 100 years old. My grandmother is 98. And if she got a promise of having a child, she'd be, I think, going, what? She could have great, great, great grandkids, 98, they, they got this promise. But he did not consider his own body. But how come he did not consider his own body? It says, and not being weak in faith. Here's a question. What is faith? Faith is a persuasion. It's a confidence about something you don't see. And how do you get faith? There's only one way to get faith. The Bible said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he had a promise from God. He had heard from God, and he got confidence in that promise. So instead of focusing on his body, he began to focus on what God said. And he wasn't weak in faith, and so he didn't consider his body or keep switching his attention back on what he saw. He kept it on what God had said. And it's interesting that this divine principle is just scattered all through the Bible. Noah was divinely warned, the Bible said, of things not seen. He couldn't even see it. And God said this is happening, and it said he moved with godly fear because he didn't look. Otherwise, he could have looked and said, I got, there's no clouds. The Bible said a constant mist came up. They, They didn't even know what rain was. He said, nah, don't worry about it. Nobody's ever seen the Lord come back, and some people are looking on the horizon thinking, eh, but he's coming. Just like that storm came, and it said with godly fear or respect, he wasn't moved by what he saw, because he didn't even say, God, if you, know, if you could just cause a couple of sprinkles, I would be really pleased. That would help drive me on to collect wood and build this gigantic boat that's supposed to collect. Maybe you can send a zebra or giraffe by every now and then during this time I'm building just to give me some confidence. No, he moved with godly fear and moved in line with what God said, and he saved his whole house because of it. And this principle is just throughout the Bible. And and you see failures when people didn't walk like this and when people did. That's how the children of Israel first didn't go into the promised land. God said, you're able. They said, we're not. I mean, they just spoke right to him and said, nuh-uh. Well, if you're going to trust God, you just can't go, nuh-uh. And if you do the nuh-uh, you got to at least come away from that and go, okay. But notice this. He wasn't weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So he didn't look at himself and he didn't look at her because she was right along with him. And he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. In other words, he didn't take and focus on the circumstances so it would erode what he believed. 
Because if you fixate on the problem, there's a term for it, and it's called worry. Worry. Fear. Fear and worry will stop faith every time and will stop results. Every time. Every time. And people can live without fear and live without worry. What people don't realize is worry is a fixation on something that questions God, His ability, His working. In other words, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? But we know the Bible said He'll watch over us, He'll protect us, He'll provide for us. And, but if I'm fixated on that, I am focusing on the wrong thing. I am going to waver at the promise. One of the greatest things we could learn is this, is to come away from learning to worry. I was trained. My mom was trained. We worried. We learned to worry. Her mom worried. People worry. I mean, I work with families when I was a youth pastor. And, you know, if you're five minutes late getting the group, group back, you know, of youth, their parents are like, where are you at? Man, what is the problem? You know, I had like 60 youth. You know, you have a tough time getting to church on time with one, and I had 60. They should have said, oh, okay, I understand that. But they would be like, oh, I was so worried, you know, it was dark out. Yeah, it usually gets dark about this time every night. And, and you know, they're all worried, and you try to tell them, don't worry, you know, we'll be okay. You with me? But people worry all the time, and actually, I wasn't going to just say this this morning, but in the Bible, it, worry is a sin. Go read when it makes the list in the book of Revelation of the sins. The very first one is worry. Worry? Yeah, like worry. I can't help it. You can. I learned. You can. You can learn not to worry. It'll make you come free. Worry is basically putting your faith in an unseen circumstance. In other words, you, you, don't, you don't know how this is going to happen, and you, there's this, this bad... Have you ever had bad news just come to your head and nobody ever said it, and it just is pounding at your head, and you're all worried and concerned and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden you find out, oh, that's not true. Uh, hello? There's something not right with that. But we can learn to not worry. I knew you'd be excited about this. Wouldn't it be nice not to worry, just to be able to go to sleep every night and, and just wake up every morning and, and have had a, a good night's sleep? And then when troubles come, you don't worry. Abraham didn't stay up all night going, dear God, what are we going to do? He did at first, and he tried to figure it out on his own, and he, he talked his wife into sleeping with his servant. Then he had a baby it made made a mess. Because he's trying to figure it out. But why? Because he's thinking, man, she's old. This ain't working. Let's do. No, you cannot worry. Worry means to divide the mind or move your focus off of one thing onto another. And you have a choice in this. Worry is the direct result of stopping, trusting, or quitting, or removing our trust from the Lord. Notice this. Verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in his faith. So his faith got stronger, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. 
Now, he didn't start there, but he ended there. He didn't start there, but he ended there. He didn't consider his own body, and then we know he had the promise fulfilled supernaturally, his wife. I mean, that had a miracle. The, the nation of Israel is a miracle. Every person born into the kingdom of God is a miracle. It is a, everyone who's saved is a miracle from God. We believed that he already paid for it, and we said, I'll take it as mine, and then Jesus be my Lord, and you are a miracle from God. And how do we get all these things? Which, what is a miracle? You know, they have miracle detergents. They have miracle this. Miracle just means a, a, a divine intervention in the natural course of life. That's God's business. But we have to come away from not considering certain things because when we consider the wrong thing, you could chalk it up as worry and fear. You can chalk it up as worry and fear. Knowledge will help you to come away. But notice this in Matthew 14. I'm going to read a couple of verses here before we move on and talk about a couple practical things to get rid of worry in your life. What you can do to get rid of worry or fear. When we're fearing and when we're worrying, here's what we're doing. We're holding on to something that is speaking and against what God can do and what God has done and what God has said. When I worry, I am believing something that's a lie. Or I am accepting something less than the greater. Meaning, if I'm worrying about these circumstances, uh, then I'm not putting my trust in God that he's working, that he said something, that he said he did it. And what I'm doing is going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I have moved my focus. And the Bible said, if your mind is not stayed on the Lord, you'll experience spiritual death. What is spiritual death? The absence of divine peace. And, and joy, and all these different things, and you will get full of inner turmoil. God did not create a human to be filled with worry. He is God, you are not. If you can learn how to get rid of worry in your life, you can allow Him to do what He wants to do, what He planned to do, and then you don't carry what you were never created the reason why people snap mentally is they carry stuff they should not be carrying. And it overloads them because you were not created to do that. We serve a supernatural God that can do things, but if you have your focus on this natural thing, you're trying to solve the problem and work it out, and this troubled teenager and all this stuff, instead of trusting that God deals with them, you're going, they're going to end up in jail. They're going to, if they're going to end up in jail, then go to sleep because they're going to end up in jail. It doesn't do you any good to worry. The Bible said you cannot add to your height by worrying. You can't change things by worrying. It just wrecks you. It it just really goose with your mentality. It's a robber and a thief and does not fulfill anything from God. God doesn't want you to worry, not because he wants you to go down, but he wants you to go up. You with me? And we'll read a verse that basically says that thing, those words. So Matthew 12, notice this. 
This is a story very familiar about Peter walking on the water. And we'll read about six or seven verses here. But this is Peter doing the opposite of what he did. But at first, he started out doing what he did. I cannot worry about you. I can't worry about the church or it'll mess things up. I can't worry about people. I can care about people and love people, but I cannot carry a load and try to make things happen because if I do, I'm working outside of God. You with me? And it'll just wear on me. So if you're going to try and manipulate me and work me, it ain't going to work because I don't got time. I'll love you. But you'll just be playing your game of jacks by yourself. You with me? You can't let people try to load you with cares and worries and stuff like that. I won't do it. Because you know what? If I trust God, my faith will work. But if I'm worrying, I am not trusting. Is that condemnation? No. It just helps us know what, what is real and how it works. Notice this. We'll start in verse 24. The disciple had been told to go out and, and cross the lake. They're rowing. And the s- storm comes up. Jesus is left behind. He's there and, and been praying. And then he starts walking on the water. And, you know, you ever hear this? I've heard this. You, you see it on bumper stickers. If you feel like you're perfect, try and walk on water. That is stupidity. It has nothing to do with perfection walking on water has nothing to do with perfection. It had to do with a specific promise and then working a certain principle. Notice this, because Jesus never said to Peter, your problem is you ain't perfect. Peter said, well, I knew that. Why'd you tell me to come? Notice this, verse 24. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves and the wind, and the wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Boo. Uh-huh. Ah, it's so funny to make people afraid. Uh, you guys are afraid. Now you're really afraid. You know, worry is one thing. I'm. <laughs> Did you see that? He didn't do that. And he, because why? He didn't want you to be afraid. He didn't want you to worry. And fear and worry are brothers and sisters. They're like Siamese twins almost. Like one, we were somewhere, I think it was, might have been in Honduras, met somebody who said, and they had said, they, they, this uh, brother and sister were twins. I said, I was joking. I said, well, are they paternal or identical? Oh, they're identical. Now, if you don't understand that, identical means you got the same parts. One's a boy, one's a girl. In this society, people may not understand that. They weren't identical. So they, yeah. I said, well, I've never seen identical twins that were boys and girls. Yeah, well, this is the first time I have. That's what the person said. I said, oh, that's interesting. Fear and worry may not be identical, but they're pretty much, you know, the same tree. It might be an oak tree that's this big and fear is just bigger. But they're just cut from the same mold. And so here he said, be of good cheer and do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come 
on the, come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. He wasn't perfect, and he was walking on water. You, whatever the specific thing is you have from God, he'll fulfill it if you learn how to do. But remain, remember, Abraham got his promise fulfilled because he was persuaded of the truth, not of what he saw. So he has a promise. He's walking on the water, but worry and fear produced doubt and his faith quit working. Abraham didn't allow worry and fear in later in his life. He didn't allow worry and fear in. He learned how to not do it, and then the promise was fulfilled. If you can learn how to not worry and not fear, you can see promises fulfilled. Somebody said, it's impossible. I've learned how to... No, Jesus would have never said anything is impossible you know, like this, and then told you to do it. He never would have. For some people, it may be a little harder because we've been developed that way. Well, if you're not worrying, you're not caring. No, if you truly care, you will not worry. I mean, you look at Jesus' life. He did not respond in worry and fear you know, like in, in Matthew 8, when that demon-possessed person, uh, was, the child was brought to the disciples, they couldn't cast him out. Then, then they brought him to Jesus, and the kid falls down and starts writhing, writhing around, totally demon-possessed, in front of Jesus. Jesus asked him when this happened. See, most people would act in fear and panic. Everybody pray right now. Everybody, hey, lift up the name of Jesus. Everybody speak in tongues. Everybody do this. Jesus, when the kid fell down, he looked right at the parent. He said, now, how long has this been happening? The man said, well, since a child. And this kid is flopping around like a fish on the ground, and Jesus is having a conversation with the father. But so many people are driven by worry and anxiety, they feel like they got to do something right now. He wanted to know some things. He wanted to understand some things. He wasn't just moved by everything he saw. He wasn't full of worry. You know, and sometimes people want you to join the wagon. You know, I've had people say, oh, you know, they're all worked up, and they think it's really cool to be all worked up. And they're like, oh, this is happening right now. And you're like, oh, okay. And they're like, it would serve us well to not worry. And we don't have to. It would help you. It would help your relationship. It would help your mind. It will make your faith work. See, his faith was working. And he was walking on the water. And according to the bumper sticker, he wasn't perfect. And he's doing the doing. But. Why did that verse 30 start with but? It would have been better if they moved that way up there up above, but. Because like one person said, you need to get your butt in the right place. And his butt is in the wrong place. But he, when he saw, and it wasn't just that he saw, he began to focus. Where Abraham didn't, he did. The wind boisterous, he was afraid. He began to worry, began to fear. And then what happened 
And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and lifted him up and said, only if you're perfect, you can walk on water. No, he said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He basically called him. I said, why did you doubt? Remember, Abraham didn't waver in unbelief or doubt because he didn't focus on the thing. He did focus on the thing. Doubt or fear is, the, you know, they're the same thing. Doubting and worry are the same. See, Christians who worry, doubt. This is good because, see, we can say, well, <clears throat> I worry a lot, but I just don't doubt. No, let's just call it like it is because then you can say, ooh, that's yucky. That's yucky. Anybody who worries knows this. There's turmoil in it. There's no peace in it. There's no comfort in it. There's none of that in worry. The Bible even said fear has torment. He, I mean, he's walking on the water. But then all of a sudden he starts getting in fear. Jesus called it doubt or unbelief. Why? And he didn't just say you couldn't help it. He said, why did you? Do you notice that? He said, oh, you have little faith. Why did you? Well, he could have said, well, it's because of my little faith. He didn't mean little in size. He meant little in application. You started doing it, then you quit. There will be pressures against you to focus on wrong things. But why focus on it? If you do, that's called doubt. It will fill you with fear and worry. I knew this would be exciting. But here's the thing. You could leave without worry and fear, but you can't leave with worry and fear and be focusing on the wrong thing. So let's read a couple of verses before we leave. How do you get rid of worry? How do you get rid of fear? How, how do you get rid of certain things when, when you're anxious and the cares of this world are weighing on you? Jesus told us in Matthew 6, he, the last number of verses... He taught his disciples, don't worry. He said, the world seeks after these things, but he said, do not worry. He said, take no thought saying. In other words, don't allow your head to get so filled with the problem, you start speaking it. <clears throat> and what happens is people entertain the wrong thing, and it produces no peace. It allows for worry and fear and when you're full of worry and fear, your faith will not work. Hallelujah. What can I do? Can you, well, I just don't know if I'm that strong. You are that strong. You are. If you're a believer, you can do this. I can do it, you can do it. I mean, I've had Job's comforters come to me before in tough times. You know who they are? Those guys, oh, you got the problems and this and no, no, and they explain your problem. I remember a lady when I had lost a job and she came to me and said, oh, you know, talking to me about not sleeping and everything. I just had to get in her face and shut her down. I sleep. I will sleep. I'm going to sleep good. I haven't missed any sleep and I'm not going to. She was like a turtle and got back in her shell. 
She didn't realize she was just coming to turn on the sprinklers of unbelief and water the lawn and make it grow. Serious. People who think they're doing you a favor sometimes are not doing you a favor. And they'll call you and tell you, oh, man, oh, my, you know the economy. You know, I know somebody who lost their job a month ago or six months ago. No, it was a year ago. It's been a long time, and they haven't even got a job yet. Praise the Lord, I'm praying for you. Oh, wonderful. Then now what do you get to uh, added to your garden to focus on? You're believing God for a job, and that guy didn't get one, and he hadn't had one for a year. What's that going to do? It's going to create worry. It's going to create fear. Because now you've got a new object to focus on. You out there? And that will produce fear. And when it does, it'll rob you of faith. How many times when circumstances went bad and people ran into Jesus, he said, fear not, only believe. I know it's tough. I know a lot of people can't do this, but if you do this. No, he said, don't do it. Well, what do I do in place of it then? Let's read this in Philippians, the fourth chapter. We'll read a couple of verses and then turn to another set and close. Finally, Uh, No, I'll start in verse 6. Be anxious, Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious, literally it means fretful or worrisome for nothing. Basically, he just said, in any situation in life, you are not allowed to worry. Uh Like nothing? Well, like even little things? Or just, you mean just big things? He said, be anxious for nothing or in nothing. Do not worry about anything. Now, see, this is a challenge right here for people. But you could do it. If he wrote and said, don't worry about anything, could you imagine living a life without worry? If you were without worry, you'd be without inner turmoil. And in the absence of inner turmoil, there's going to be something that remains. It's called the peace of God. So he said here, do not be anxious, worry about anything. In other words, don't take any worry to yourself. But he didn't just stop there. So if you're worrying about a loved one, a family member, and stuff like that, you have to not be anxious. Well, how do I not? Number one, he said this. Notice. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, because notice you're not to do it never, so he said in everything, never worry, so if you're never going to worry to get rid of this any worry, you're going to have to in everything do this. Do what? In everything by prayer. Somebody said, I pray all the time, I'm still full of worry. You're not praying correctly. But we'll show you how to do it. I remember when I first learned how to do this, and I sensed the peace of God come into my life. I went, this is crazy. I remember it was like, I, like Hallie, you know, she wants to go reach lost. I wanted to go find worry people. I was like, Christians can really experience the peace of God and see God move if they'll do. And I remember doing this thinking, well, I mean, it didn't matter what you needed. I mean, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Let me teach you about worry. 
You know, you needed to, let me tell you about worry. It was so real, I wanted people to experience freedom where you have divine peace and God is actually moving. So he said, in everything by prayer and supplication or humble request, uh, let your uh, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So you have to pray with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. So notice when you pray, you're giving something to God. Now we're going to talk about it and we'll look. There's more than one place, but we'll turn to one where it talks about casting all your care on the Lord. When you pray, if you go to trusting, you are no longer holding it. You're believing God is working on your behalf. You, you know, to cast means to throw away from you. And what you are to do when you're going to get rid of worry is you have to take your worry, because it is yours, it's your problem, and you need to throw it over on the Lord. Now, how do I do that? I have to do it by faith, by trusting. I have to say, Lord, you see this problem, but I need a promise because that's how they were kept from worrying. But you said you'd supply all my need, so I'm going to give you the care because you said, so my focus is on the fact that you said you'd supply. I believe that. And I'm casting my worry, my care and concern, and all these pressures. But if I give my care to him, then I'm not going to be focusing on it. And if my mind gravitates back to it, guess what? I'm going to say, no, I give that back to you. Because if I don't have it, I mean, you know, if I don't have, where are my blue shoes? If I don't have them, I don't have nothing to look at. They're at home in my closet. They're somewhere else. They're far from me. But if the enemy or different thoughts come back to your mind and, and, and try to get you to think on the problem, you need to say, no, I give my care and concern back to you, Lord. I'm not going to entertain that. And so you pray. And then what do you do after you pray? You give thanks. Why are you thanking him? Because I don't have it anymore. Because you have it, and if you have it, you're working on it. That's what he's saying. You're trusting him to do what he said. So Abraham didn't focus. He didn't get full of worry. He didn't get full of doubt. Peter focused, got full of fear and worry and doubt. Why did you doubt, Jesus said. So the choice comes down to the individual. But see, when I was younger, we were taught, people are taught, people all over the place worry. Man, I'll tell you what, the news teaches you to worry. How often do you hear, look, we're on a great upswing, it's a great time to invest and be blessed and prosperous, and all. they're like, well, it's just a matter of time, the economy is going to crash. Oh yeah, it went up 600, but it's doomed. Everything's going to go bad. If it does, what does it matter? Worry will just hurt you in it. You with me? And then your faith won't work. I know you guys are excited about this, but it, it'll still help anyway. But be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So I'd say, God, you know, you, know, you said this concerning my situation. You said this. I'm going to believe it, and I'm not going to worry. I give it the care to you. I believe you heard, and now it's in your hands. So if it's in his hands... Why do I need to keep praying? Well, you just all keep praying for me. Just keep praying. Keep pray Why? It's in his hands. It's not in my hands. 
well, then if it's not in my hands, well, what do I got left to do? Well, if it's in his hands, you ever given something to somebody you felt was responsible? And you gave them a task and you said, do this. And then it wasn't in your hands. You went, that's not on me anymore. I know them. They'll do it. Well, God's better than all of them. And if you give it into his hands, you can thank him. Thank you, Lord. It's in your hands, not in my hands. I'll tell you what, that will lighten the load. I don't know how many people I prayed for that, that were lost and got saved, and you could sense just a load lifted off of them. Jesus doesn't want you to just start reloading. He wants you to keep all your cares every weight over on him. People don't understand what they do sometimes, and they're good people. But they want you to focus on, well, what you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? And you're thinking, oh, my goodness. You know, you hear all these songs, everything. So, you know, I mean, you ever been in a place like that where every voice comes back? You, you got to get rid of worry, and you can. So you cast it on the Lord. And he said, do it with thanksgiving and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace will become your guard to your heart. It'll, it'll settle the troubled heart. You know why people are troubled? Because they're focused on the wrong thing. They're full of worry. Why are their minds troubled? Because they're entertaining the wrong thing. And he said, not only will he give you his peace, but it will become a guard or a garrison about your heart and your mind. Think about this. You might have a soldier. You might have a plan to keep things out. But this peace will keep out anxieties. It will keep out different things. And it will cause you to be cocooned in divine peace while you're watching God do the work. And you're giving thanks. Thank you, Lord. You're working in their life. Oh, no, look at what just happened. You prayed, but look what happened. No, no, I give that care over to you. I've done, you, there's not one person in here who's not going to have an opportunity to pass up, uh, or not going to have an opportunity to pass up worry at some point. Maybe three or four times in a day. Maybe after you get good at this, you won't notice it for a couple of weeks, and all of a sudden you'll just have another marvelous opportunity to just take hold of worry. But as you learn, you can start to learn worry-free or learn to live a worry-free life. And what you will find is your faith will actually work. It will actually work. This is a major thing. Read through the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how many times uh, they were afraid and, and problems didn't occur, I mean, weren't solved. But when people didn't fear and didn't worry, God was able to work. Because God is a trust God, and if you're worrying, you're not trusting. But if you're trusting, you're not worrying. They are not... They don't cohabit. I said they don't cohabit. Praise the Lord. 1 Peter 5. We'll close with this right here. 1 Peter 5. I'm telling you, if you want to live without worry, these are the things you got to do. You got to cast your care on the Lord. I wish I would have known this when I was younger because I used to just not sleep well. And it was based on worry because I was entertaining the wrong thing. My mind was not fixed on the Lord. It was not fixed on his ability. It was not fixed on what he said. It was me trying to solve problems and stuff that I could not do on my own anyway, and it just was making a mess of me internally. You with me? 1 Peter 5, 6. 
And the reason why I read, want to read verse 6 is because of the statement here of what God is saying to you. Therefore, humble yourselves. You ever heard people say, well, if you do this, God will humble you? No, nah, he won't actually. You have to humble yourself. What does it mean to humble yourself? It means to lower yourself to a position underneath. Well, what are you supposed to, you know, if people do it their own way, they're not humble. So what God, in other words, they're exalting themselves. So he said, you need to humble yourself and put yourself under God, his instruction, his way. So he said, therefore, humble yourselves. But notice this phrase, under the mighty hand of God. The mighty hand of God was what was stretched out and healed the sick in the book of Acts. The mighty hand of God is what delivered the children of Israel. Remember, he said, with a strong hand. Remember the, when the disciples had saw a miracle and then the people said, don't do the same anymore. He said, Lord, give us boldness so we keep doing that you'd stretch forth your hand. All through the Bible, you see a stretched forth mighty hand of God as God demonstrating his mighty power in a person's life. Notice he said, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand hand of God. You have to trust him. He is the one who has the ability to do, but if you live in worry and you live in fear, you, you lock him up from being able to do it because there, he responds in trust. He, you can cry all you want to and God won't move. You can whine all you want to and God won't move because he doesn't move like that. And you can get everybody crying with you and he won't move like that. You can get everybody begging with you, and he won't move like that. You can get a thousand people praying for you, and every one of them worrying their heads off, as people say, and he won't move. And it's not because he doesn't care, but he works in line with certain principles he set forth. People who wrought victory were people who trusted. People who worry don't trust. But what we don't realize is because we think people who trust are great warriors. Well, they pray all the time. Well, maybe they should be praising more because when they get done praying a certain way, they're not full of worry now and you trust God's got it. Man, if God's got it and he's working, why do I got to keep laboring? Man, I get to relax and worship God and praise the Lord. And He said it's divine peace. That means I'm going to be sitting over here without a care and a concern and peace is going to start invading my heart and it's going to invade my mind, and I'm going to be like, "Woo! I got peace. And the devil's going to go, hey, remember the problem? And if you gravitate back, you're like, oh, yeah. And then you'll notice that peace will just dissipate. So what do you got to do? No, no, uh-uh, uh-uh. I've already found my place, my good place, the secret place. You ever read Psalm 91? You know, he that dwells in the secret place of most high God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, so on and so forth. You ever notice any phrases in there about fear? Oh, you better believe it. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And he talks about this will happen in this and not fearing. Well, if you're going to dwell in that place, you've got to get rid of fear. You've got to get rid of worry, and you can do it. And he said here, humble yourself. So that means you've got to be not proud, because pride is about me. Well, I just can't live life without worrying. I can't live life without focusing on the problem. That's pride. That's me saying, God, what you said doesn't work for me. I'm the exception to the rule. 
getting hot in here. But I'm telling you, you can leave with peace and know for a fact that God's working on your behalf even though you don't see it because you trust in his word and then he'll just put his endorsement on you. He'll just stamp your heart with peace and stamp your mind with peace and you'll be sitting there in peace going, whew, while he's working on your behalf. Think about it. He turns on the air conditioner of pleasure for you while he works. He's in the yard doing the work, and you're enjoying the peace. But if you say, I don't want the peace, I need to work, you'll be in the yard working, and you will be without the peace. And if, he's, if you're the one doing the work, he's not the one. Now, I'm not talking about being lazy. We have to do our things, but I'm talking about not living with worry. And you can do this. This was a new thought to me. But notice he said, he will exalt you. How? By his great power, his outstretched hand. Casting, this is how you humble yourself, casting all your care, anxieties, fears, frets, and worries upon him for he cares for you. One translation says once for all. You just go, okay, Lord, I'm not going to hold that. I give it to you. That's a faith proposition. Notice, then he said, be sober. Be vigilant. Now, that didn't mean don't get drunk. That sober literally means be clear-minded. So when he said be sober, he said be clear-minded, be vigilant or watchful because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion. Notice, seeking whom he may devour. This is how worry works. The devil walks around. It didn't say he is a roaring lion. He walks around like a roaring lion. It's going to be really bad. Oh, ooh, and you, oh. And if you get focusing on it, you're going to take worry to yourself because he walks around as a roaring lion. He is not a roaring lion. He walks around like one. You know, have you ever watched documentaries about lions? I have. And it's interesting when there is a lion that has a pride and there's a bunch of prides, you know. It's interesting they call them prides. And um, they send out signals, the dominant males, to mark their area and so other ones won't come into that range. And it's just a... And it makes the other ones afraid. It puts them on call until one gets strong enough and they feel like they can take over. But he walks around as a roaring lion, as a roaring... Notice it didn't say like a quiet lion stalking his prey. It's a roaring lion. But the roars we hear are not roars in, your, in, in, in life outward. They're mostly in between your ears. But there is a guard to protect you against this, casting all your care, worries, anxieties on him. But then he said, be sober, be clear-minded, be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour anybody and everybody. He seeks who he may. Who does he get to devour? The person who's full of worry. Therefore, he said, resist him steadfast in the faith. In other words, no, I refuse that. 
I believe my God is able. He said this. I am going to keep that over on you, Lord. This will help you. There are people who live their life full of worry. Somebody didn't come. They've been in an accident. They're five minutes. And then they show up and you're like, whoo. You know, and then somebody comes and or somebody calls to tell you something. And you're like, must be bad news. Because they just focus on that. Learn to cast your care on the Lord. How do I do it? Through trusting him. Yeah, this is a faith proposition. You with me? I know we went a little bit longer today. But I'm telling you, you can do this. You can put your trust in the Lord, but notice the things. Focus is a huge thing. It's not just not focusing. It's learning to say, Lord, I give this to you. I'm not going to worry about it. Know a promise. Know what he said. Trust what he said. And then after you give the care to him, thank him that it's in his hands and he's dealing with it. He said, when you do it correctly, he said, his divine peace will begin to guard your heart and guard your mind. It's a military term. You can't settle your own heart and your own mind on your own ability. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You believe in God, trust also in me. That's the key. He said, don't let your heart be troubled. We have a choice. And the way to get your heart settled or to keep it settled, is keep every worry and concern on him. If you have a loved one, you do them a disservice to worry about them. Why? Because then your faith won't work for them. If you're believing God for anything in your life, you do yourself a disservice to fear and worry because your faith won't work for it. But I will tell you what, if you get your care on the Lord, you are trusting But don't stop. Give him thanks. I'll tell you what. Learn to do this. Exercise yourself in it. You will find this will change your life. I, I sleep. Well, probably, I was going to say, some cases not good. Meaning like on an airplane, if I want to fall asleep and I'm tired, you just, I snap my finger, I go to sleep. The problem is when you're with other people that take pictures of you and you look like this. That's what I'm saying. and Because I, I started that, taking pictures of people when they fall asleep on an airplane. I thought it'd be great to do a website called People on a Plane, like, you know, the one people of Walmart, you know. And then I fell asleep. I remember I was taking pictures laughing. I went back to my seat and sat down, fell asleep in 10 seconds, and people saw me. Uh, you know, it looked like I was melting. <laughs> but you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry is what I'm saying. So I, there are benefits, but you just have to be careful. I guess it has to do with people more. but Or sowing and reaping or something. But, but you can live free from worry. Living free from worry has to do with trusting God. You need to dump stuff before you leave today. But the only way you're going to do it is humble yourself. I'll tell you what, you do this and it can change the results you get in your loved one's life you're praying for. Amen? I used to worry quite a bit. I found myself worrying at times and gone, uh-uh. And then you just have to do it. You with me? It makes life 
much more enjoyable because instead of you sitting there like a teapot boiling in a crowd of people full of worry because you're so focused on the problem, you can actually enjoy the day. You can enjoy the time. I mean, you know, there are people like that in groups. You know, there'll be five or ten people in a group and everybody's having a good time and you're kind of half laughing because you're just so focused on that problem. You're not fixing the problem by worrying. God is not working until you're trusting. So when you cast the care on him and thank him, you'll notice this when, you, when, when worry comes and tries to erode peace. There'll be some fascination with a problem or a situation that will try to get in there. The enemy will roar. And he'll try to induce something and get something introduced so you'll entertain it. Because here's the thing, even if he can't stop something and do something, he can sure make life miserable for you. And he's all about that. And God is nothing about that. 